Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's now time to enter the Sports Zone with your host, Bob Kemp. It's 3-1 and one with Marte on deck. Soft fly out to left center. And that's the ball game. Diamondbacks got the opener here. Giants take three of four. They win the last three. And they pick up another game on the Diamondbacks, who now drop to four games over 500. They lose it one nothing. Ouch. With two minutes left in a four-point game. Kirk Cousins back to throw on fourth and 18. He's given time. He wants Jefferson. Climbs the ladder. Oh, my goodness. Justin Jefferson pulled it in. The catch of his life. Just beyond the 10-yard line now. It's second and goal. Goff for the end zone. Catch made. That's a touchdown. Abed Ross. St. Brown. Shot clock at 7. Follow kisses it off the glass. And it rims through. Follow has been an absolute menace today, along with Tubelos. He has 20 points now, both the bigs with 20. Shohei's still second and comes around to score on the C.J. Chrome base hit. Here he swings at this one, drives the ball deep out there in the right field, and that one is out of here! Otani just did what everyone came out to the ballpark to see. Hits a home run, number 40 of the season. Angels add on. It's 3-1, and it's showtime. Counts 0-2, and here's the pitch. And this ball is lifted high, and it's carrying deep out into right, and that one is gone. On an 0-2 pitch, a grand slam. That is only the second home run that Marlowe has hit in the big leagues. And boy, oh boy, what a huge blow right there. It's now 5-3 Seattle. Freelich swings, sends one to right, deep at the wall, gone for Sal. Another three-run shot for the crew. And piling on now, three-run home run for Sal Freelich, his second as a major leaguer. Will we look back at this as one of the most significant series year? We might. Cubs five, Reds three, two down, top of the ninth, the 1-1 pitch. Line drive caught by Candelario. The ball game is over. And the Chicago Cubs win three out of four. And the Cubs win the ball game. Dial 602-260-1060. That's 602-260-1060. Or tweet the show at KDUSAM1060. And now, here's your sports own guide, Bob Kemp, on KDUSAM1060. And welcome to the Friday, August 4th edition of the Sports Zone. Not just the news and scores, the news and scores with analysis. In today's Sports Zone, right here on KDUS AM 1060 and KSLUX HD 2 100.7, the Diamondbacks, is it too soon to give up? The 2023 Vikings over under 8.5 wins. The AFC, excuse me, the NFC North, that's right, the NFC North, that's the division we've been talking about all week. The NFC North ranked teams 1 through 4. Meanwhile, the U of A, is there any reason they should not leave 
the Pac-12 for the Big 12. The Angels, how's it going for that? How's that trade deadline decision working out for them? Uh, the Brewers and Cubs, who's the better team? And what caught your eye? What else caught your eye since our last show? Here's today's scheduled lineup on the show, which is the most informative sports talk Monday through Friday. In moments, we have the introduction of today's pipeline. 9.15, a Vikings preview for the upcoming season. Matthew Kohler will join us from Purple Insider. 9.30 or so, it'll be interactive action at 602-260-1060. And also the local roundup. And sorry if I'm repeating myself like three days in a row, but that's not my fault, folks. But uh, we'll have analysis of another Diamondbacks loss with no offense and inexcusable base running. Again. Meanwhile, the final segment of the show will be the National Roundup. Top by from the MLB scoreboard. Some interesting developments yesterday, day and night. Then after the sports zone, it's the Extra Point hosted by Kayla and among many things, that will include more phone call time. And then the infamous, of course, Mike Sando. We're tier one right now of the quarterbacks. We'll get to that today. Sando's getting more pub for this show for that than anything in his, in his career, probably. Uh, just kidding on that, sort of. Maybe not completely. On to the pipeline we go. Time for today's Pipeline, where the host reveals the hot topics for discussion. And here is today's Pipeline, and we start with a KDUS poll question at KDUS1060.com. Today's question, is it too soon to give up on the 2023 Diamondbacks? It's a question I was actually asked yesterday afternoon by two people when we watched the final out of the game yesterday. So, hence the question. Kayla has the early returns. That I do, and yes, is leading the way at 57% of the vote, no trailing at 43%. Okay. Well, the Diamondbacks over the last 26 games are now a major league worst, 7-19. and They are currently a season most eight games behind the Dodgers in the loss column. They're two games behind the loss column in the wild card race. If this is a race, it's more like a crawl at this point. Uh, but it's not a good situation at the moment. Who would have thought this on July the 1st? Not I. Today's Twitter poll question of 2023, Minnesota Vikings over under eight and a half wins. And Kayla, what's happening here? Um, What's happening is over eight and a half wins, 57.1% of the vote, under 42.9%. This is on Twitter at KDUS AM 1060. The Vikings won 13 regular season games last season. Remember, they were 11-0 in one-score games. That's an NFL record. Meanwhile, the Lions are favored to win the AFC North, even though the organization has not won any division since 1993 and not won any playoff games since 1991. Uh, to celebrate the end of our NFC North previews this week, pick the division one through four. Meanwhile, back on the local front of things, the U of A will leave the Pac-12 to join the Big, uh, the Big 12. That's a, now according to they want to. They, it looks like they're going to do it, quite frankly. But yeah, yesterday afternoon, Pete Thamel reporting that they want to leave officially for the Big 12. Pete Thamel from ESPN. He's been clued into these things for several years, working for a couple of different organizations, but he's... He's one of the dudes that's been most, uh, I think, uh, done the best job of following the realignment story in college sports for a few years running now. 
Is there any reason that the U of A should not leave the Pac-12 for the Big 12? Maybe there is. If there is, let me know what it is. Spanning the globe, the Angels are now 2-5 and five since they decided to go for it. Last night, Shohei Otani hit his 40th home run, but he was also unable to pitch after the fourth inning because of an ailing middle finger on his pitching hand. Make your own joke there, I guess. The middle finger on your pitching hand. Okay, what? Like I said, make your own joke. Lots of options there. Uh, should the Angels already regret being buyers? Being uh, buyers, that's right, before the trade deadline. Should they have not done that? Meanwhile, last night was also last night was also bad for the Diamondbacks. We talked about the afternoon loss. Well, last night the Brewers and the Cubs both won. Which team is better, the Brewers or the Cubs? Also, in addition to all these outstanding questions and topics, what else caught your eye since our last show? All right, that's the pipeline for today. We'll get to all these tremendous topics and much more during today's sensational radio program. Anything else on your mind falls into the general discussion category. Uh, so whether it is from the pipeline or a sports topic on your mind, 602-260-1060, or you can tweet the show at KDUSAM1060 or twitter.com slash KDUSAM1060. Basically, the only rules are accuracy and objectivity. If you violate those rules, or if you're just simply bad, you will be the target of this. Sorry, I'm momentarily distracted here. I was watching MLB Network. Actually, not really watching. I kind of just have it on here. However, I was distracted because they have Bob Costas on a panel on the Brian Kenny show here, whatever they call that show. And then the other panel person with Bob Costas, the ultimate professional, is a lady that has pink hair. Okay. So I thought that was kind of funny. All right, she may be brilliant for all I know, but it just you know, kind of seems a little, little interesting combination there. All right, uh, if Costas had pink hair, that would be really a, that would be a news story, right? All right, coming up next, Corey of a news update that'll be followed by a 2023 Vikings preview. Matthew Kohler is scheduled to join us from Purple Insider once again at the bottom of the hour. Phone call time, general discussion, 602-260-1060. Plus the local roundup, that'll be topped by yet another brutal Diamondbacks loss. And we'll explain what happened yesterday and who uh, had the latest base running blunder from the Diamondbacks, which has literally been going on since the very first batter of the Diamondbacks coming out of the All-Star break. And the base running has not gotten any better since then. You're listening to Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and Cast Lux HD2 100.7. Have you downloaded the KDUS 1060 app yet? Download today and get all of your favorite local and national shows right on your phone. Welcome back to the Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUSAM 1060 and KS Lux HD2 100.7, your home of the Dan Patrick Show, live Monday through Friday from 6 to 9 a.m. The Vikings won the NFC North last season after going an NFL record 11-0 in one-score games. Uh, out to the KDUS hotline we go. We're now joined for a 2023 Vikings preview 
by uh, Matthew Kohler of uh, Purple Insider. And Matthew, always good to have you on the show. And, you know, the, certainly the Vikings had some good fortune last year, but I think they deserved a lot of those close wins last year. As somebody who witnessed every game, how would you describe the Vikings' 2022 regular season? Yeah, yeah. So I kind of went back and forth a lot last year on that because some of it was pretty darn lucky. I mean, Josh Allen fumbled a QB sneak. I mean, how many times did that happen in a single season? And, and that helped them. And then Allen threw two interceptions in the end zone, which, you know, that doesn't happen either. So there were a lot of horseshoe, uh, lucky charm games. But at the same time, the one score games that can be a little bit misleading at times, like, they were ahead against Miami for pretty much the entire game, and then they kind of came back. I mean, they, they were the better team against Arizona for the entire day, and then there was that kind of comeback at the end and made it closer than it should, and that's what happens when you have a very bad defense is you're never really out of the woods, and also the Vikings last year didn't have a great running game with Delvin Cook, which is one of the reasons they moved on, and that helps you close out games. But it is hard to see it being a lot different this year I'm sure they won't win all of their one-score games, but at the same time, they've revamped a lot of the defense. I'm not sure that it's way better, aside from the defensive coordinator is a lot more, uh, I think, aggressive and probably has a better approach to this defense, so that could make a difference. But one of the problems also is when you finish first in your division, you get a first-place schedule. They play all the teams that were in championship weekend last year. Um, So even though I think they do have a strong roster, uh, there's pretty clear signs that there should be some regression this year it just kind of comes down to how much regression will they suffer okay we're gonna get to a lot of those topics you just mentioned here on before the end of the interview but next i want to go to kevin o'connell he's a first year head coach first time nfl play caller last season what impressed you the most about his first year performance yeah i think it was probably just the way that he connected with players and the culture he instantly created. And I know that that's like football cliche kind of thing, but uh, it couldn't have been worse uh, when Mike Zimmer left. Uh, It just, the players were miserable. They were frustrated. It was a very, very unhappy workplace. The general manager and head coach weren't talking. I mean, it was was just a, a nasty situation by the end of 2021. And I think all of the players felt like, if they had been given a little bit better of a work environment, if they probably would have closed out the games in 2021 that they didn't uh, and missed the playoffs. And it turned out that they were right because O'Connell came in. Uh, he was the exact opposite of Zimmer, very much a player's coach, but a completely different approach to a lot of things. I mean, to communicating with Kirk Cousins is at the top of the list, to injuries, to player health, um, to how he spoke with the media, you know, having his players back to, as much as he possibly could throughout the season, um, you know, even when something did go wrong. So I think that that mattered a lot. That he uh, really respected the players. They respected him. He galvanized the locker room. Uh, he and the general manager are very much on the same page, Clayton Apple-Mensa. And I think that that all mattered. Um, but also when you win, it's a lot easier, right? So you kind of get an easy start to the schedule, then some one-score wins, and then everybody likes each other. And I think this year there will be more adversity for Kevin O'Connell to handle. And sometimes when you are the player's coach, there's always that question of, like, okay, can you kind of bring down the hammer? Can you be hard on these guys if you have to? And that we haven't seen him tested yet. But, you know, from an offensive perspective, they were a very good offense, finished top 10 in scoring. I think that maybe that was helped by the shootout uh, and – 
you know, the nature of how they play. They had to score, you know, 33 points in a comeback uh, against Indianapolis after getting, you know, down. Um, so, you know, that normally you wouldn't have to do that. So sometimes those stats are a little fun. But I thought that him leaning into the passing game, putting it on Kirk Cousins' shoulders was something that, you know, Mike Zimmer was never willing to do, and they got pretty good results in doing so. So I think that he probably deserved a little bit more buzz for Coach of the Year than he got. It was weird that they won 13 and the Giants won 9 and Brian Dable got it. But, um, you know, I, I think that he did make a very, very strong first impression in Minnesota. Dalvin Cook has moved on to wherever, still to be determined, I guess. Uh, Alexander Madison, the new running back. Did the Vikings make the right decision with Cook, and what do you expect from Madison this season? 100% they made the right decision with Cook. I mean, this is one of those things that I'm sure you guys have dealt with this before where uh, the national media will be saying something, and you watching your team all the time or covering the team yeah. will be like, excuse me? Um, and, that, and that was uh, the, the case with Delvin Cook. I mean, he was not the same running back last year, not even close to what he was in 2020, 2019. And, of course, that's the nature of the game with running backs is that they get into their late 20s, the injuries pile up. Uh, I think that he was protecting a shoulder injury last year. It did not run with the physical type of nature that he has in the past. His burst, I didn't think, was quite the same. Um, and they also changed running schemes a little bit, and it wasn't as good of a fit for them. Uh, it's also a bad bet to spend that much money to keep a running back that has already started to show signs of decline. I mean, his yards per touch has gone down for three straight years. You know, so there's, there's a lot of, like, piling up evidence, including the fact that nobody has jumped to sign him, that would tell you that the entire league knows that, you know, Delvin Cook is not the same running back as before. And yet I saw people reporting, uh, are the Vikings tanking because they're getting rid of Delvin Cook? Like, what? Um, so reputation means a lot more to the outside world a lot of times. But they absolutely made the right call. Now the question is whether they made the right call of who they went to. I think that there's a lot of appreciation in this building for – Alexander Madison, he's a highly intelligent player, a, a super physical runner. Um, you know, he's the guy that is kind of like a Leroy Horde for back in the day. He's going to you know, get wow. you four or five yeah. yards, but he's probably not going to get you too many 75-yard touchdowns because he doesn't have that breakaway speed. But the thing is that what people have to understand is that everything is about the passing game for Kevin O'Connell. Alexander Madison can get you to second and five, set up play action. He can pass block. He can catch the ball much better than Delvin Cook, who was always kind of touted as someone who was a receiving back but never really became that. So I think that it's a better fit, even though, of course, we all know peak Delvin Cook is better than what we're going to see from Alexander Madison. Matthew Kohler of Purple Insider curling in the sports zone. Okay, I promise we'll get to some offense soon. We don't need to talk too much about that. They're pretty well set in, I think, many positions. But I want to get to this defense 27th, 30th, and 31st in yards allowed the last three seasons. What does new defensive coordinator Brian Flores, who's certainly experienced in the league, you know, head coach, assistant coach, etc. How does he turn this around, or how much can he turn this around in the first season there for him? Well, I think what we've seen so far is his answer is going to be the same answer I use on video games, which is blitz, 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 and more blitz. Um, <laughs> Even in uh, last night's training camp practice, uh, they were just harassing Kirk Cousins like crazy. And I think it started to get on Kirk's uh, nerves a little bit, how much pressure they've sent at him 
in these practices, but that's what it's going to look like in real life. I mean, in 2020 and 2021, uh, when he was the coach of the Dolphins, they were one of those blitz-heavy teams in the league. That's what he is known for. And I also think that's what he needs to do with a defense that has a lot of uh, – it's hard to say how weak the weaknesses will be, but I, I guess if I was being Minnesota nice, I would say a lot of question marks. Um, you have two rookie corners starting in the outside. Byron Murphy Jr. has been a great fit so far for them. I think that they've yeah. really given him a solidified role, where in Arizona it looked like his role kind of changed from year to year. Um, but that nickel corner is a huge spot in Brian Forrest's defense. He's mixing up some very interesting personnel packages so far, kind of using a hybrid safety linebacker kind of thing. Um, but, you know, personnel is what ultimately matters the most, no matter who it is. I mean, Brian Flores' his first year in Miami, they were 32nd. And then they jumped to sixth the next year when, no surprise, they signed free agents and got better players. So I, I think that regardless of how aggressive he's going to be, how good of a coach he is, and I, I have a lot of respect for him as a coach, there's still some challenges here. If your outside corners can't cover people, you're getting roasted. I mean, even week one, even if it's Kyle Trask throwing the football, it's Mike Evans is the receiver that they face in week one. Right away, there's going to be some big challenges. So, you know, I, I, I think that uh, if some of these guys, these young players, unproven guys step up, they could be a good defense. Uh, I don't know if there's the potential to be a great defense because they don't have the depth or the pass rush, but – um, yeah, it is one of the most interesting things of training camp and going into this season by far. Individually, they did lose some starters from the defensive side, including former Cardinal Patrick Peterson. Which defensive starter who left after last season were they going to miss? Which one of those guys are they going to miss the most this season? Yeah, I think the answer is Patrick Peterson. Um, it's funny probably because you know his exit from Arizona was uh, unceremonious, but there are few players I've ever seen fit in so perfectly in Minnesota. I mean, whether it was with the team, his leadership, with the media, with the coaching staff, he would hold his own uh, film sessions with the guys, uh, you know, every Tuesday, that kind of thing. I mean, he was just uh, a flawless fit here and uh, still had it. I mean, I think you saw that maybe some of the, the usage, again, with Byron Murphy and with Patrick Peterson was not the best in Arizona because mm-hmm. the way he fit in last year – he was one of the best corners in the NFL statistically. If you look at quarterback rating against or PFF grade or pass breakups or whatever, that's not easy to replace. So even though they did have a very bad defense, he was outstanding. And if you know some of their young guys, like Caleb Evans and Makai Blackman, who I'm sure your audience never heard of, they're two starters right now, uh, if neither one of them can replace Peterson's production because he was making plays on the ball, and that's, you know, a hard thing to do, I think, for young players unless you're truly special. Uh, th- that's going to be hard, and that's where, you know, that aggressive approach comes in. They have to find ways to cause turnovers because the one saving grace of the defense last year was that they did get a fair number of turnovers, and if they don't this year, I, I think it's going to be pretty tough. So I think in a lot of different ways from whether it's the locker room or just, you know, the plays that he made, they will miss Peterson quite a bit. Yeah, I think I'll just add one other quick thing here about Murphy. Uh, yeah, clearly he was a better slot corner here than he was uh, outside, even though he did get better outside last year. But, uh, you know, slot was when he uh, excelled the most while he was here. All right, we're talking with Matthew Kohler from Purple Insider. All right, on to the offense we go a little bit. Uh, you know, we've, I think you and I, we, and I'm sure you've talked to many, everybody about this probably on a daily basis for several years. The offensive line, they're trying to build this offensive line. 
Is this the year that that unit steps up? Well, I think by the fact that they had uh, Dalton Reisner, free agent, in for a visit, who was a starter with the Broncos for the last four years, uh, makes me think that they are not super confident that it's going to take a step up. This is a, it's a weird situation because they have two of the best offensive tackles in the entire league in Christian yep. Derrissaw and Brian O'Neill. Uh, these guys are elite, uh, both of them at their position. And Derrissaw has got a case for top two or three at his position. It's like Trent Williams, Andrew Thomas, Christian Derrissaw. And yet their offensive line overall uh, you know, gave up a lot of sacks last year. I think Kirk was sacked 46 times, which is a lot, and uh, a lot of pressure and so forth because the interior has always been the struggle. And I think what every team knows at this point going into face the Vikings is if you attack the middle, Kirk Cousins can't run away. And you think about the fourth and eight check down that everybody talks about in the playoff game. It was really caused because Dexter Lawrence broke through the interior of the offensive line, and Cousins does not have the mobility to run away and, and to create plays. And so I, he's just kind of been a sitting duck in the middle, and that's really hurt them. So they've spent two second-round picks and a first-round pick in that middle of the offensive line, and it's still bad, uh, which I think that it sort of speaks to the quarterback matters with the offensive line's production as well. But also they drafted a guy, kind of reached on him in Ed Ingram on the right side last year, and it's just made a, a, you know, a big difference um, to have if you have a veteran there versus a young player and a rookie trying to step right in because he was just smoked last year by a lot of really good players and a lot of blitzes, there was confusion about who was supposed to take who, and it cost them a lot. So it really comes down to, you know, does he make progress and step up? Because he gave up 11 of those 46 sacks last year. That really Oof. can't happen for one player to give up that many. Even if it's a tackle facing the best defensive ends, you can't give up that many and still succeed. So it kind of comes down to one guy because the weakness has always been um, what's determined whether the offensive line is, is good or not. Okay, Kirk Cousins, I'm not good at math. I think I got my math right here. He's been paid $185 million over his years with the Vikings. He's free agent eligible after this year. What's his future? 185 mil and one playoff win. So not exactly. Uh, you know, I know that the narrative on Kirk Cousins is very positive these days, but um, as we look at the Vikings' future, we can't lose sight of that. The fact that they have won one single playoff game since he got here and at the time signed the biggest contract in the NFL. Uh, I think that right now it's probably 75% chance or greater that he just hits free agency. Some other team that's desperate for a quarterback signs him. It's kind of like a repeat of the Derek Carr situation. And then the Vikings look to draft the quarterback because when you think about it, I mean, first of all, I mean, when you're spending that much money on the quarterback position, the guy better be great. He can't be just good and flawed. He has to be great in order to make up for the weaknesses on the rest of the roster, and that's really not who Kirk is. And that's why they've consistently had you know, good and not great seasons aside from last year, which, uh, as we outlined, had a lot of luck elements at the end of games. So, you know, I think that they look at it as uh, freedom as far as the salary cap goes. And Kevin O'Connell, I assume, came here with the idea that at some point he'd get to pick his own quarterback. He and Kirk Cousins have gotten along as well as any coach has ever gotten along with Kirk Cousins, but there are still <laughs> frustrations at times from a head coach when you have a limited quarterback in a league that has Joe Burrow and Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes, and when Kyler Murray is at his best, he's pretty darn athletic and great, fun to watch. I mean, you know, the league has so many freak defenders that get after the quarterback. You have to have a counter to that, I think, to win, 
and uh, the Vikings don't have it. So I think what the, that they'll do is they'll let him hit free agency unless something really changes. Like, remember back in 2012 when Joe Flacco won the Super Bowl in a contract year? Well, if they yeah. do that, then Kirk's going to be a Viking for life. <laughs> but if they are a first-round out or miss the playoffs, uh, I think that they'll move on, draft the quarterback, and then go from there. If they win the Super Bowl, they're going to re-sign him, and there's going to be a statue outside the stadium at that point, probably. All right. Yes. We all we all know that Justin Jefferson is great, uh, you know, so I'm just going to get right to the, the bottom line question here. Over 2,000 receiving yards this season? <laughs> no. No, I don't think so. I don't think he's going 2,000. And the thing is, I don't think they want him to because last year he was so much the entire offense that by the end of the season, and you just saw this in the playoff game, that I think he had four catches for 40 yards or something, yeah. that – you know, teams that know what they're doing defensively, and not that anyone has ever really shut down Justin Jefferson or that there's any real strategy, but in you know one big playoff game or a really great defense can find ways to limit the damage from a player like that. And I think that was one of the reasons that the Packers lost in the playoffs all the time with Devontae Adams is you know, the teams would scheme up, like we're going to make somebody else beat us. It was a long-held Belichick thing, make somebody else beat you. And uh, what the Vikings did was they went out and got a first-round draft pick in Jordan Addison that can. Um, so far in camp, he's been really, really excellent. Looks like a tremendous route runner, has great hands. They you know, traded for TJ Hawkinson last year, who was a, a pretty good answer to when teams focused on Jefferson. I also looked this up that uh, no receiver who had a 1,700-yard or more season ever did it again the very next year. And wow. I think that's because once that happened, even when Jerry Rice did it, uh, everybody puts their entire defensive game plans into yeah. stopping that guy. What the Vikings need to do is make them pay for it. And if Jefferson ends up with 1,200 yards, again, that outside world thing, people will say, oh, well, you know, he couldn't repeat it. Uh, but at the same time, if their offense is more efficient, that's what matters much more than the fantasy numbers. Okay, so the Vikings, they win 13 games last season. The over or under win total consensus-wise for this year is 8.5. You did mention the schedule, so let me ask you, over or under 8.5 wins? I have it over, but that's if they're healthy. I mean, the depth of this team is just non-existent, really. I mean, a a receiver, okay, they could lose one guy and still be pretty good with their weapons. But even at running back, if Madison were to go down, they have no one proven behind them. Um, you know, we already talked about the offensive line would be a problem. Defense, if anybody gets hurt on the whole defense, it's a huge problem, and which somebody probably will. So, I, you know, I, I think that uh, it's it, it maybe slightly over. Um, uh, uh, somebody mentioned to me, like, that one year in the AFC West, three teams went 8-8 eight and eight, and another team went 7-9. and nine. I kind of think the same thing about the NFC North, where it could be, yeah. like, three teams go 9-8, and eight, one team goes 8-9. and nine. That's kind of what I think of this team. I think that they are flawed enough to be close to 500, good enough to make it interesting, probably a lot of close games again, and then it will come down to you know some of those clutch moments. It wouldn't surprise me, though, if they had a great offense and they were a little bit better than that. I just think that the gambling world has a pretty good sense for uh, this team losing a lot of talent and having a lot of luck last year, and that could you know make things more difficult for them this year. Matthew, this is always a fountain of information. I appreciate your uh, insight and talking to you, and uh, we'll try to catch up during the regular season. Thanks. Of course. Thanks for having me. 
Matthew Kohler, Purple Insider, read all his stuff. And uh, they, by far, have the most difficult schedule of any team in this division. We'll get into that a little further during the extra point when we answer the poll question of the over or under eight and a half wins. All right, next segment, phone call time. If you want to get in, general discussion, 602-260-1060. Also today's local roundup. I just maybe I just etched this in stone in my little script here, including another brutal Diamondbacks loss from yesterday. Ah, oh, man. It uh, and more bad base running from yesterday. This time it was a lack of hustle in the ninth inning of a one-run game. Very similar to you know Tuesday night when the game ended when Perdomo got picked off first base to end the game. Unbelievable. There's no margin for error this team, and uh, they've got a lot of errors. You're listening to Sports Zone, physical and mental. Listen to Sports Zone on KDUS AM 1060 and KISS Lux HD 2100.7. Check out the Doug Gottlieb Show, Monday through Friday, 1 to 3 p.m., right here on KDUS AM 1060. It's time for today's local roundup. Back to the Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and KS Lux HD 2 100.7. In addition to the local roundup, it is phone call time to the KDUS hotline 602-260-1060. If you want to get in, you got to kind of hustle up because I went a little long in that last segment, but that's okay. 602-260-1060. All right, on to the local roundup we go. The Diamondbacks offense was missing in action again. Been, uh, but more inexcusable base running. Continued and uh, yet another loss on Thursday uh, to the officially inept Giants. Uh, the Diamondbacks at one point, to refresh your memory, 50 and 34 and atop the NOS. That was on July the 1st. They were three games ahead of the Dodgers. Since then, the Diamondbacks are 7 and 19. They're now eight games behind the Dodgers in the last last come. I need to rephrase that. In their last 26 games, they're seven and 19. That is the worst record in Major League Baseball over that span. And they're now eight games behind the Dodgers in the lost column. In addition to that, the Diamondbacks, after losing three out of four at San Francisco, they're now third in the National League West and three games behind the Giants. And the Diamondbacks in the wild card standings are now a season most two games behind in the lost column in that race, or whatever that is. It's not exactly a race because teams are kind of stumbling, some of them, especially the Diamondbacks. Also, uh, it's uh, the Diamondbacks in four games in San Francisco scored nine runs. They had 22 hits in four games, lost three out of four games. Uh, and you know, after they had two hits over the final eight innings on Wednesday night, they had six hits in the nine innings on Thursday. The Diamondbacks often, uh, you know, they've been they've been horrendous. Uh, running bases really since they came out of the all-star break on Thursday was a complete lack of hustle in the top of the ninth inning a 1-0 game one out Christian Walker hit a ball off the top of the left field fence and he got a single because he was not running hard out of the box thought he hit a home run I'm guessing didn't run inexcusable that that happens the next hitter, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., singled, but Walker only got to second base because he was on first base. He would have at worst been on third base with one out. Now, that could have completely changed the inning. 
that inning concluded with a Geraldo. Uh, I get this wrong every time. Geraldo Perdomo. Need to come up with a nickname for him. Uh, grounding out. And then, uh, you know, Jace Peterson, who has been awful in his first two games as a Diamondback, he kind uh, of flew out to end the game. Yet another loss. It was the second inexcusable base running mistake in three games. Remember, on Tuesday when Pordomo got picked off first base to end that game, which is even possibly more inexcusable than yesterday. Since the All-Star break, the Diamondbacks have gone from an elite base running team to basically one of the most stupid teams with at least a dozen low IQ baseball decisions and pretty much every offensive player on the roster has been guilty at least once of doing something stupid. Baseball IQ. Not just, you know, like getting thrown out and you know, the guy made a great play on defense. These are just bonehead baseball decisions that are inexcusable. And it happens like every day, sometimes more than once. Up next, the Diamondbacks start a weekend series. That's tonight in Minnesota. The Twins are 18th in run scored. That's actually very surprising that they're that good at 18 because they have 1,124 strikeouts for the season. That is 50-plus more than any other team in baseball. But the Twins can pitch. They've allowed the fourth-fewest runs in baseball among the 30 teams. Tonight's pitching matchup scheduled to be Merrill Kelly, 9-5 and with a 323-yard run average against uh, Bailey Ober, who's actually pitched better this season than Kelly has. Uh, Bailey Ober with a 319 run average. And I, th- I heard a thing like a couple of weeks ago that Ober had like the worst run support from his offense of any pitcher in the American League. So I don't think that's changed too much in the last two weeks since I last I heard that or first heard that or since I remember hearing that. <laughs> uh, Kelly's made two starts since coming off the injured list. One was okay. The other one not so okay. Zero and one with a 327 run average in those games. All right, the Dodgers played the A's last night. Guess who won? Uh, Freddie Freeman, three hits, uh, and they uh, defeated the A's last night, 8-2. to two. They sweep the series in Dodger Stadium against the A's. Freeman now leads Major League Baseball with a 341 batting average. He's actually hitting 508 since July the 17th. He is 20, excuse me, 32 for his last 63. Last night he had two doubles. He has 40 doubles for the season. And then he hit his 22nd home run of the game in the eighth inning last night. Uh, Oakland, by the way, is the third team uh, since uh, 1960 to drop at least 80 of their first 110 games. The 2003 Detroit Tigers and the infamous 1962 New York Mets were both 29 and 81 after 110 games. All right, starting today, by the way, I'm not going to waste our time anymore at these National League West standings. If the Diamondbacks actually, if they come within like three games of the Dodgers at some point, maybe I'll reconsider. But anybody that's looking at the National League West standings at this point and thinking about the Diamondbacks, you need to come up with a different plan. So there was a change in the standings last night as far as first place teams. Milwaukee overtook Cincinnati yesterday. So Atlanta, Milwaukee, and the Dodgers are the wild card, uh, the, excuse me, the uh, first place teams right now. The uh, top three wild card teams are San Francisco with 49 losses, Philadelphia with 50 losses, and Cincinnati sitting at 52. Also, Miami is a half game behind Cincinnati with 52 losses. The Diamondbacks 
and the Cubs, uh, who won, won 8 out of 10. I believe it's like 10 out of 13 or something the Cubs have won. Also, the Cubs sitting at 53 losses. All right, coming up next, we'll have a news update with Corey. That'll be followed by the conclusion of today's show with the National Roundup. That'll start with a little from the scoreboard from the baseball world yesterday, and then we'll get to as much as we can after that in the National Roundup. Don't forget the extra point hosted by Kayla from 10 to noon. That is coming up next. More phone call time, and uh, we'll get uh, back to the Mike Sando Tier 1 of his quarterback uh, yeah, rankings from this year with uh, his panel of experts uh, and so forth. So uh, we'll get to that. And uh, I guarantee you there's going to be a couple of people that I think uh, should not be in there. Yeah, we uh, yeah, we revealed yesterday tiers, you know, some of the tier three and then the tier two. Jalen Hurts should be in tier one, and I guarantee you there's a couple of quarterbacks that I think should not be in Tier 1, so we'll talk about that, among other things. You're listening to Sports with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and KSLUX HD 2 100.7. Your morning drive just got a little better. The Dan Patrick Show is live weekday morning starting at 6 exclusively on KDUS AM 1060. It's time for today's National Roundup. All right, final second today's Sports Zone on KDUS AM 1060 and KS Lux HD 2 100.7. From the baseball scoreboard, Shohei Otani suffered a pitching injury and the Angels lost again. Otani left the mound after only four innings with cramping in his pitching hand, uh, specifically his middle finger. And uh, he did still stay in the lineup as a hitter. He hit his major league leading 40th home run in the bottom of the eighth inning, but then the top of the ninth inning, they blew a, a you know, two-run lead and grand slam home run by the Mar- the, uh, Mar- the uh, Mariners. The Mariners are now like two games ahead in the loss column against the Angels in the wild card chase. Meanwhile, Max Scherzer settled after uh, settled down after he uh, you know, had a really bad first inning in his first start with Texas. He ended up striking out nine over six innings. Uh, he uh, threw 37 pitches and gave up three runs in that first inning, but he managed to get by the rest of the game. They beat the White Sox 5-3, to three, they being Texas. Uh, Scherzer in the six innings gave up three runs all in that first inning with seven hits. Four of those were in the first inning, two walks. One of those was in the first inning, and he struck out nine. Uh, Will Smith, 19 save, 19 save and uh, 21 chances. He's been kind of an unsung hero for the Rangers. Jack Flaherty, excellent in his Orioles debut. Six innings. Uh, he was the winning pitcher. He allowed one run, four hits at Toronto. Uh, they always win at Toronto. In fact, they won three out of four at Toronto this season. They won every game they played in Toronto this season except for one game this week. Uh, they now lead, they being the uh, Orioles. They're up two games over Tampa Bay. The Orioles are 8-2 and two against the Jays this season. And Toronto, by the way, now 8-23. and 23 against American League East opponents, and they begin the series today at Boston, who they've also had you know, like almost no success against this season. Michael Lorenzen, dominant in his Phillies debut. He threw a season-high eight innings of two-run ball in his Phillies debut, and the uh, Phillies beat the Marlins 4-2. to two. Lorenzen uh, you know, had, gave up six hits and struck out five, so Philadelphia wins Three of four in the series at Miami between the NL East rivals are battling for wild card spot. Meanwhile, there's some quick uh, items here uh, for around the NFL. Valley product Cam Jordan 
uh, has agreed to a two-year contract extension with the Saints for $27.5 million. He is the all-time Saints sacks leader. Also, uh, the Bears added a pass rusher. We talked about the Bears earlier this week and previewed them. They needed a pass rusher, Yannick Ngakwe, who's on a different team every year. Uh, for whatever reason, uh, is now with the Bears. A one-year deal worth $10.5 million. Also from the NFL, oft-injured running back Elijah Mitchell is injured again. He's going to miss at least a week after he suffered an abductor strain during a training camp practice on Thursday. For Major League Baseball, the Rays is expected to place Shane, Shane McClanahan on the injured list. That was a day after his start against the Yankees that he had to leave with left forearm tightness. This is not sounding good. I mean, they actually put him on the IL immediately, sent him back to Tampa to be in, uh, to be uh, you know looked at by a team doctor. This has got, unfortunately, Tommy John surgery kind of written all over it, it appears. Hopefully I'm wrong. And then Anthony Rizzo has been ailing for weeks on Thursday. The Yankees placed Rizzo on the injured list due to concussion that he apparently sustained the final week of May. It's August the 4th. Yesterday, August the 3rd, they placed him on the injured list. Aaron Boone said that Rizzo complained about being foggy, uh, prompting the team to send him for additional testing. Good idea, but two months later, Okay. Coming up next two hours, it's the Extra Point hosted by Kale, including more phone call time, 602-260-1060. This has been the Sports Zone with Bob Kemp. Thanks for listening.